What's up, Beardos? This is Chelsea Lincoln, and you're listening to episode 163 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't answer your question first. I'm not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we continue our winter break interview series with Chelsea Lincoln, the creator of Fat Vegan Voice. Paul. Yes, Andrew. <laughs> I like the inflection changes. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm having some serious deja vu, Andy. It could be because we just recorded the intro to the last episode, but I decided to, you know, next week we have our, our classic interviews, and I decided to bring back the thing that we did for the first, like, 100 episodes, which was <laughs> I would really elongate words in the, during the introduction for some reason, so just decided to bring that back for this episode. I feel like you need to really bring it back for next week's episode because you used to there was definitely like a series of like 10 episodes in a row where you elongated that in today's episode. (laughs) You just kept going longer and longer and longer each time. So uh, I want to see you really put that to the test next episode. Okay. Okay. In 10 minutes when we record that one. Yeah, so yeah, so here we are yet again. We are on episode three of our winter break interview series where we're taking the time to talk to some amazing folks that are doing really important things, good things in the animal rights movement, in the vegan space. And this week we're continuing with Chelsea Lincoln. I'm Paul, I'm really excited to have this interview on the show because. Um, you know, this, you know, talking about sort of fat shaming, fat liberation, not a new topic to the show. We've had, uh, you know, we had Jenny Marie from Fat Vegan Zine on before. We've posted some of the bonus panels that I've done. Chelsea has been doing this work longer than than anybody else that I am aware of and is a wealth of knowledge and has so many uh, s- stories to tell and just sort of knows every- everything front to back. And this is something that I got at an interview. But, you know, th- there's a lot of things where when having these discussions about the relation to health and weight and all this stuff, uh, my response is always that like, it doesn't matter. Like you should just treat people with kindness regardless. Uh, But Chelsea is one of those people that agrees with that, but also is like, but actually I'm going to tell you exactly why you're wrong. And here's like all the studies and here's all the facts and figures and all that stuff. So uh, I think this is like a really great addition to the discussions we've had about this topic on the show before. That's awesome. I I cannot wait to listen to it, Andy. Yeah. (laughs) Andy Andy literally just finished recording this one before we started recording that interview before we started recording this. So I have certainly not listened to that yet. Yeah, I have that that new interview glow on me still right now (laughs) where I'm just like, that went great. You look beautiful, (laughs) Andy. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And also, like you mentioned at the the intro there, uh, Chelsea recently launched Fat Vegan Voice, which is just at fatveganvoice.com. So even if you don't make it all the way through our lengthy interview, definitely go check out Fat Vegan Voice. Uh, good stuff going on over there. And Paul, mm-hmm. 
I'm going to guess that since the last episode was recorded about 10 minutes ago, you have not secretly eaten any food. In, I have in not. You've, you've been watching me this whole time, Andy. That'd be I, some I Penn know, and Teller like, type, type stuff. Maybe you ducked out of frame and like snuck a Cheeto, like a vegan, <laughs> a vegan Cheeto. A Vito? Have you, well, actually, have you had those pitos? No. <laughs> Wait, what is that? P-E-A-T-O-S. Uh, they're made from chickpeas and they're quite tasty. Two of their three flavors are vegan. They have like a cheesy one, not vegan. Then they have like a fiery hot one, which a lot of people compare to the the flaming hot Cheetos. I was never a fan, so I haven't tried those. But they also have a masala flavor, which I think is phenomenal. I I need to get on that, Andy, because I love. I used to love. Wait, are we talking Cheetos like the 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 weird crinkle, like the the ones that look like shriveled or cheese like Cheeto puffs? Okay, we're talking like Cheetos, like the harder, crunchier ones. <sighs> Those are good, but I was so into cheese puffs, especially like cheese balls those in those big tubs. <laughs> like the most disgusting thing of all time. I love them so much, and I haven't had them in so long. I picture you like winning some sort of sports game and then people just dumping a bunch of cheese balls on you <laughs> instead of Gatorade. I can dream. Uh, I have always been firmly in team cheese puff. I always preferred the puffy Cheeto pre-vegan days, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad that there has not been a a totally accurate replacement for it yet. The um the Earth Balance one is is sufficient, I think. It's not it's not entirely the same, but it it has the puff to it. And that's what I want. I don't, like the taste takes a backseat to the puff and it has the puff. I I need that nice nice like fake cheddar flavor. I need that, Paul. <laughs> Look at us, Andy. Life. We talked about food for like five minutes now. This is- All right, perfect. Okay, <laughs> now that we've filled that quota, <laughs> we can move on to the interview. Uh, we'll just do some quick plugs for our, for our stuff right now, which is if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by going to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo. If you do that, you can get a couple of options. One, do PayPal. You can do a, a one-time donation, get a shout out on the podcast, or... You do the Patreon and do a recurring donation. Even as little as a dollar a month gets you access to our Patreon feed, which means you get access to our bonus episodes. If you pledge a little higher than that, you can get buttons, stickers, T-shirts, early access to episodes, all that good stuff. All the money goes towards making the podcast more sustainable and more accessible. So, yeah, do that thing. We really appreciate it. Or if you want a Bearded Vegans T-shirt, we got those, too. Oh, yeah. You can also find a link to our web store over at uh, thebeardvegans.com slash beardo as well. Yeah. And, Paul, you know, a couple of a couple of episodes ago, we mentioned how our pristine five-star iTunes rating had dipped down to a shameful four and a half stars. <laughs> I was I couldn't even go out in public for, the, for that time. <laughs> and uh, I, I have to say, since mentioning that, the Beardists have come to the rescue. We have re- restored our five stars and our honor has been brought back to our families. <laughs> yes. So thank you to everyone that did that. But, of course... If you want to go leave us a review, it helps us out immensely. And anyone that does leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher is entered into our review contest. And that means we pick uh, every mailbag episode, which is going to be in seven episodes at this point. Uh, we pick uh, three lucky winners to, that have left reviews for us of any star, <laughs> any star caliber uh, <laughs> to get some Beard Vegan swag. So uh, go ahead and do that. It helps us out and maybe it'll help you out. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, Andy, let's get on to this interview with Chelsea Lincoln. 
Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I know we've been trying to make this happen for a while, and so I'm really excited to get you on uh, and, and mine your extensive expertise. But before we do any of that, of course, we have to ask you, you know, what initially brought you to veganism and, and what did that transition look like for you? I love this question because I feel as if I originally started my vegan path when I was seven years old. Um, even though I didn't become actually vegan until I was in my early twenties. Uh, but I got as a birthday present for my seventh birthday, I got, well, I got books about how to build a small mammal cage, which is total classic for my dad. And that meant that I was getting a guinea pig. So he built the cage and then we went and picked out a guinea pig. Unfortunately, at that time, we weren't smart enough to know about looking in shelters, but I picked out my perfect guinea pig who I eventually named Christy. And eventually we got some more guinea pigs uh, to go along with her. So she had some friends because they are very social animals. And she taught me a lot. I had her for about, she lived for nine years, which is you know pretty long for a guinea pig. And she basically carried me through my childhood. I had a pretty tough childhood for various reasons, including being bullied for being fat. And I would oftentimes get her out and cry and she would kiss my tears and she would purr for me and show me so much love and compassion. And I felt like she was the one person in my life who I could rely on to show me that compassion and love. And so she really opened my eyes to the intelligence and personality of non-human animals And I was able to see her and be able to look at other animals around me and realize, you know, they have the same capacity for compassion and love. And so I I made those connections and started getting into animal rights fairly young. Um, In high school, I had a family friend who saw my my love for animals and wanted to help me through with that. So she got me subscriptions to a bunch of animal rights groups where I got newsletters and learned. And at that time, the big thing was like not using products that test on animals. So I was like a huge proponent of that. I wrote an article called, are you brushing with death (laughs) for my, (laughs) for my high school uh, paper and it was it was a great start. Um, eventually, I was able to make the connection for eating animals, and I uh, was mostly vegetarian in high school. Went to college, and eventually became vegan there. After, you know, I was I started getting involved with the university's animal rights group, and they were trying to decide whether or not they wanted to do a vegetarian or vegan cookbook to put out. And someone's like, why in the world would we do vegetarian? You're causing just as much animal suffering. And like a light bulb just like popped up and was like, what? <laughs> Whoa, okay, I need to change everything I'm doing. And I suddenly, I, I basically became vegan at that moment and never looked back. Well, so first off, I just learned that guinea pigs can purr and that's... <laughs> That's new to me. <laughs> it's a great sound. I love it. <laughs> I can only imagine. Sounds sounds delightful. So I want to get you on the show to talk about this new blog and Facebook page that you launched called Fat Vegan Voice, which is not 
you know, what we're talking about is not necessarily a new topic to the show, but you have been speaking out against this and, and just dealing with this this topic for for such a long time, longer than anyone else that I know about. And so, <laughs> so you know, we wanted to sort of look at your perspective about the evolution of this over the you know the course of. The, your involvement in the animal rights movement. Um, but before we, before we really even move forward with the rest of the conversation, I'm wondering, you know, there's so many terms that sort of float around when we're talking about things in this arena, uh, body positive, fat positive, fat liberation, fat acceptance, body diversity. Uh, I'm wondering when you're talking about all this kind of stuff, do you have a particular term that you choose to use? Why do you prefer it? Or do you have any that you sort of cringe when you hear people say? So to help us kind of lay the groundwork moving forward, as far as terminology goes, where do you fall? Well, this is a great uh, great question, something that's always evolving, even for myself as well as um, in the fat activist community. First of all, I want to point out that there is a huge difference between like body acceptance and fat acceptance. Um, you know, body acceptance is something that, you know, everyone can claim. And I mean, in general, it's just, a, you know, it's it's a good thing if, if being all inclusive. Uh, where fat acceptance, you're dealing with something where uh, fat people are actually have to deal with stigma on a daily basis, deal with oppression, um, you know, and discrimination. And so it's, you know, the dynamics between body acceptance and fat acceptance is vastly different. Um, and so when people like make the comparison of thin shaming versus fat shaming, that's not okay. So I personally, I, I definitely use fat positive and uh, fat acceptance, uh, but I try and gear more towards fat liberation and fat justice. You know, when I was starting out, it was all about more like the acceptance saying that, but the ultimate goal is fat liberation and fat justice. You know, fat liberation is a social justice movement. And I think oftentimes that gets forgotten. And so I try and use those words the most, but it also depends on who we're talking about because some people aren't really ready for the idea of fat liberation, but they might be able to first grasp onto fat acceptance. I also like to talk a lot about body diversity and size diversity. You know, when we talk about celebrating diversity, we also need to include those things in, in those conversations. And so I want to sort of uh, latch on to one little thing that you just said there about the comparison of fat shaming to skinny shaming. Uh, could you expand upon why you don't feel like those two things are sort of equal? Certainly. There's a lot of privilege that comes with a thinner body size. Um, and so if you're talking about thin shaming, obviously that's, it's not cool to do, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something, it's something as a society we need to go get away from, but ultimately the people that are being thin shamed, it's not affecting their ability to get jobs. It's not affecting their ability to be listened to and have a platform uh, where fat shaming, it's something where that does happen. Weight bias happens on a daily basis, like in doctor's office, in jobs, in community groups. You know, oftentimes the fat experience is erased and not listened to. Um, and so those dynamics are very different and that needs to be acknowledged. Now to sort of turn to your experience in the movement, I'm wondering, you know, you've been vegan for a long time. Were you an activist prior to going vegan? Were you speaking out about fat liberation prior to going vegan? Or how did those things come together? 
I was not a fat activist before going vegan. I was definitely a vegan activist first. Um, I've always been better at advocating for others rather than myself. <laughs> um, so when I first became a vegan activist um, about 22 years ago, I hated my body. Um, I definitely grew up uh, feeling a lot of shame. Um, I was constantly trying to do what I was told was right in terms of like diet and exercise. I was always um, putting myself down, you know, you know, if I wasn't losing weight, which I never was losing weight, no matter what I did. Um, and so it was a constant struggle, uh, with myself. Um, oftentimes I just kind of buried myself in animal activism, um, and used the, my focus and energy towards that. Um, even though inside I was really, really hurting. Um, so yeah, I was definitely an animal rights activist before a fat activist. And so what has your experience been as, as a fat vegan in the movie? I mean, maybe not even as someone that has already started to speak up about the issue, but, you know, sort of your general experiences uh, within the movement. Did you feel excluded? Were you accepted? How did people react to your, your presence in the animal rights movement? It varied depending on um, who I was working with at the time. Um, one thing I definitely did notice, no matter who my fellow activists were, is I became a main target um, when in public, which when doing activism, you're, you know, at least when I was doing activism back then, I was always in the public, always at protests. You know, I've had hamburgers thrown at me at protests with people yelling, you know, bullying me. Oh, a circus trainer once saw a patch I was wearing on my hoodie that said, make peace, not pork. And he told me that my parents should have thought of that before making me. Um, I've had at a circus protest, there was some people standing in line and I was just standing there quiet, holding a sign a little ways away. And the guy started motioning to me, showing like a big belly. And I was like, kept being like acting stupid. Like, what are you trying to say? And he's like, you can't be vegan. And I'm like, what, why? And then, you know, he kept showing bigger, bigger belly. So I made him actually say it's because I'm fat. And, um, and it's, so it's, you know, those stereotypes that were, would come out and I would get, I experience other verbal abuse at protests. And so it was interesting having that being the, an extra target for the public to pick on. And then on the other end of that, I never found support from my fellow activists. Um, so no one ever checked in, see if I was doing okay after I was obviously attacked by people and uh, judged based on my side, size. There was also definitely times that I felt excluded. Uh, there was a large gathering of activists from throughout the Pacific Northwest and I found out after the fact that there was a secret meeting that I was not a part of because I was told that not enough people vouched for me, even though I was one of the most active and dedicated people at the time. And so the fact that I wasn't included, it definitely showed that it was a bias happening and people just didn't like me and didn't recognize, you know, the efforts that I put in. Wow. That's horrible um you know i feel you know i i obviously experienced my stuff and i hear stories from others and it just it never gets easier hearing about it you know and it, yeah obviously i have my experiences as like a, a fat vegan man in the movement um mm -hmm. but you know we also know that there's lots of sexism in the movement especially the mainstream vegan movement so 
I'm wondering if your experience as a fat woman in the movement, if those identities have intersected at all, do you feel like um, you faced greater obstacles because of it or do you think that's not a factor? Yes, it definitely affected things in so many ways, Um, especially when I was first, you know, being involved. Um, It was a very toxic uh, masculinity boys club culture in the animal rights movement. It was a time where, um, it was paramount that you get arrested and that you dedicate your entire life to every single action um, that was organized. And I actually got arrested a lot back then. <laughs> um, and I, you know, played into that and got guilted into doing, you know, actions that I was not comfortable doing because of that whole culture. But it was interesting because, I mean, like now we have problems where, you know, there's not enough women speakers, you know, men getting credit for, you know, different actions and organizing and being the spokesperson for events. So that was, I felt like even more so when I was first getting involved in animal rights and women noticed this and started to speak up. And what happens when women speak up is they are labeled trouble. And the responses when Uh, Men were called out for the ways they were behaving is, you know, dismissing it, saying this is about the animals. This is not about acknowledgement or credit. You know, we don't have time for this. And so it was very problematic. Nothing was being changed. No one wanted to acknowledge there was a problem. So there was definitely all of this going on and people starting to push me out of the movement because of my voice trying to call people out. There was a very active group in Portland. There was two main organizers, a man and a woman. Well, actually, they were a man and a woman co-founded the group. And the man basically pushed the woman out completely. And then later, there was another woman came in that was doing all the organizing. And the man was getting all the credit, doing all the speaking events, never acknowledged anything that she did. And when he found out that I was doing a talk at um, an animal environmental law conference about sexism in the movements, he actually threatened me and wanted to demand what I was going to, demanded to know what I was going to (laughs) say. And he was definitely like gaslighting me. It was ridiculous. Um, So I experienced things like that. But I also experienced with this boys club that, you know, the few women that were, you know, quote, accepted into the boys club were conventionally pretty Um, and usually dating one of the guys. (laughs) And so it was like, you had to be deemed fuckable (laughs) to get anywhere in the movement, which is in itself ridiculous. But because I was fat, I was deemed unfuckable. And so I didn't matter. And um, that was very clear when it was going on. Um, And I talked to other women activists that experienced and witnessed the same thing. And it was wrong for every person involved. You know, obviously, women need to be respected for who they are and what they do, um, not whether or not you can sleep with them. So it it was very problematic. And do you do you remember the first time you spoke up specifically regarding the the discrimination you're experiencing because you were fat and, and how people reacted? When I started to actually start calling myself fat, I was mostly working with an organization of, of mostly women at the time because I had to get away, away from the boys 
culture. And the first thing I notice is most people want to, first of all, correct you. They're like, you're not fat. They want to reassure you that. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm claiming that I'm fat. It's I'm reclaiming the word and it's okay. (laughs) You know, just like someone else is tall, someone else is short. I'm fat. It's okay. It's just a descriptor. So that was one of the first things I noticed. Another thing I noticed was a lot of people getting very defensive. There was, I was actually told by a friend at the time that fighting for fat acceptance was not on her radar because there was more important things to focus on. And a friend of ours dealing with um, discrimination for being trans, you know, for example, was more important. And so she didn't care about my issues. And obviously supporting our friend who was dealing with trans discrimination was incredibly important, but that's not an excuse to dismiss what I was going through. And so, um, you know, experiencing that was, it was kind of shocking to me. Um, I didn't think that it was going to be such a fight to be accepted, but people do get defensive when you start calling things out. We def- there was definitely more of a culture back then of, you know, doing what's comfortable and not looking to change and broaden your horizons. Like we're seeing more and more now, which is nice. Yeah. Could you actually, I'm wondering if you could sort of reflect on, ha- have you seen things changing in the movement and, and how have they changed and how have they perhaps stayed the same? There's definitely a, I mean, most people, when you talk about fat shaming, the concept will say that it's wrong. Um, There's not many people, I mean, there's definitely a few people that argue that it's a positive thing, Uh, but those are a few and far between. Um, And so I feel like, you know, that's progress. There's more and more people accepting that, you know, fat is more than just a health issue, um, which is important because the concentration on health is very problematic for so many different ways. So I think, you know, a lot of people, when they hear about this issue, they say, well, maybe this is important, but why do you have to drag your your vegan identity into this? And so I'm wondering if you feel like fat vegans experience like a different type of discrimination or aggression than than fat non-vegans. I think the discrimination is the same, but the aggression is different. There's a lot of plant-based health gurus and single-issue activists that spew a lot of fat hate. Um, I've seen statements like, kill fat, not animals, and suck it up so one day you don't have to suck it in from being promoted by vegans, Uh, which, by the way, sucking it in is actually pretty unhealthy to do for your body. Um, I recently learned this from my physical therapist. So, uh, <laughs> so there's also, you know, there's like ads, like, I mean, this was a long time ago, but Adbusters was huge when I was like first going in activism and they had an issue where there was like one of their ads that said a little McDonald's, uh, there's a little McDonald's in everybody. And it was said on the back of a, um, a, a fat child. And it made me so mad (laughs) because I hadn't had McDonald's in like forever. And so it was just like contributing to that stereotype of, you know, if you're, you know, eat meat and, you know, what's categorized as unhealthy, you know, fast foods, 
you know, then you're fat, but if you're plant-based, you're thin. Um, there's a, um, image out there of a fat body filled with, you know, carbs, meats, dairy, um, cakes. Um, and then next to them is a thin body profile filled with fruits and vegetables. And it's that type of dichotomy that is often used against fat vegans or you, you know, actually it's used like claim that, you know, vegan is healthy. Uh, but the reality is, is that's not how body size works. Um, and so it's, it's very frustrating. Um, I definitely feel as if, you know, there's this assumption that if you're vegan, you're going to be slimmer. And there's a lot of people that continue to promote that and using studies that say so, where, those studies don't take into consideration things like, you know, the effect of stigma on body size um, or, you know, classism on body size and different things. And so, you know, anytime I see vegans using the talk about, you know, being slimmer or weight loss on a vegan diet, I find it incredibly problematic. Yeah. So do you think you could actually expand on that a little bit in terms of how body stigma affects health as well as classism? Certainly. Um, so a lot of times fat people don't feel as comfortable to go to a, the doctor's office, for example. Um, it's because when they get there, oftentimes the focus is on their size rather than what they're actually there to be seen for. It can be simple as you know, I've heard stories like uh, Reagan Chastain, who she's an amazing fat activist, and she tells a story about she went to the um, doctor for strep throat, and they didn't want to actually treat her strep throat. They just wanted to talk about her body size. And she's like, well, well how, how would you treat this for a thin person? Let's start there. And then yeah, let's just do that. <laughs> so she had to actually struggle to get antibiotics to treat her strep throat when just because she's fat. And that's absolutely ridiculous. And so experiences like that make it so a lot of fat people don't feel comfortable to go to the doctor. Um, oftentimes, when they do go to the doctor, they don't get proper, proper diagnosis. There was recently an article about a woman who died of cancer because she was dismissed at uh, the doctor's office and they ended up finding the cancer too late um, to actually be treated. So these type of things happen all the time. So when people don't feel comfortable to go to the doctor or they go to the doctor and they don't get proper treatment, that stigma affects their health as dramatic effects. So there's the, that direct way that they're affected, but there's also the mental stigma that happens when you're constantly being told you're not good enough, you know, you need to change the way you are. Um, you know, when you're constantly having these pressures, it puts a lot on you mentally. You know, it's, it's weird to me how we concentrate so much on health and society, but we never really talk about mental health. And that's such a huge part of our health, our holistic health. I know I personally deal with a lot of stress and it manifests in physical pains. And so my focus right now is on my mental health to try and get those physical ailments solved. And we kind of forget about all those things all the time. I had an experience where I went to the doctor and I was having borderline high blood pressure and the doctor was like kind of freaking out, 
and was like, well, maybe you should start walking 15 minutes a day. And she had never asked me any questions about my physical activity. And I responded to her. I was like, um, I bike 15 miles a day. (laughs) This is not from lack of activity. So I actually ended up creating boundaries for some family, a family member that was causing me a lot of stress. And my blood pressure normalized right away when I started creating those boundaries. And so that's just an example of how you know, our mental well-being affects our physical well-being. Um, so, you know, the stigma of facing discrimination and oppression and microaggressions every single day because of our body size does affect our well-being. So I, I came up with a list of what I feel are pretty common arguments that I hear from vegans in the movement used against fat vegans. And so... Uh, I'd like to sort of go over them and see how you respond to them when people bring them up. Sounds good. All right. So the first one is fat vegans make the movement look bad. Uh, People won't want to go vegan if they see fat vegans. Um, I have actually been told this before. Luckily, I knew better. And, you know, if we live in a culture that doesn't want to see fat people, then we are not deserving of being humans on this planet. Like, that's such a sad place to be. Uh, But the truth is, if people feel more accepted and comfortable in a group, well, people do feel more comfortable and accepted in a group where they see themselves reflected. So if people see fat vegans and they're fat themselves, they're more likely to actually want to learn more and be involved, where if they're only seeing like a certain type of person in the group that isn't them, then they're going to feel like an outsider and not want to be involved. Uh, Body diversity in the vegan movement looks great, and it is necessary to actually make change. Um, It helps shows one faucet of our diversity and acceptance. Uh, We need more diversity of all kinds in veganism, and any form of diversity should be accepted and encouraged. All right. Number two, veganism is about compassion towards animals, and humans are animals. So if you aren't striving to be as healthy as possible, you aren't truly living up to the vegan ideal. Well, I would say, first of all, compassion really has nothing to do with health, um, unless you want to argue that compassion actually encourages health uh, because we're all accepted and happy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's no obligation to health, nor is there any guarantee of health. Uh, This thinking is very healthist and ableist and problematic. Um, I also think when people discuss health, They forget, you know, like I said before, that that includes mental health. Um, So weight bias is a public health issue. And when we create acceptance for everyone, which is also part of compassion, then that is the vegan ideal. Great answer. Uh, I think I'll lump the. I think I'll lump three and four together, which are uh, you can tell how healthy a person is by looking at them. Slash weight and health have a direct correlation. Well, first of all, you can never judge, you know, see someone and know their health story. You know, basically, if you're doing that, then you're just basing everything on ignorance and stereotypes. Um, But I went, I had to take my uh, younger sister to the emergency room for um, acute stomach pains. And my sister is very different body size than me. She's, um, She's very thin, but she's also... 
uh, was at least at this time incredibly unhealthy. She, um, you know, didn't eat very well when she did eat. Um, it was, you know, not healthy foods and it was, she drank a lot of soda, hardly drank any water, wasn't very active. Um, and so we went to get her help. And when we were there, the doctor just kept talking about how she must be healthy because she's thin and how palpating her stomach is easier because she's so skinny. And it was really obvious that she was saying these things directed towards me. And so everyone makes this mistake of judging people based on their looks, but you really know nothing. You know, the truth is, you know, I was incredibly active and, you know, ate stereotypically healthy. Um, and so it was like, you know, we were the opposite of what she was stereotyping. And it was also very problematic because my sister was there for acute stomach pains and you probably shouldn't make any assumptions about her health until you ask questions. <laughs> um, so, so there's that aspect. Um, but one thing I also want to talk about is the truth about weight and weight loss. First of all, studies show that no matter your size, if you are fit, the relative risk of all-cause mortality is about equal for all body sizes. Besides that, even if it was proven there was a difference, there is no proven way to healthfully lose weight. Wayne Miller for, from George Washington University talks about there isn't even one peer-reviewed controlled clinical study of any intentional weight loss diet that proves that people can successfully can be successful at long-term weight loss. No commercial program, clinical program, or research model has been able to demonstrate significant long-term weight loss for more than a small fraction of the participants. Given the potential dangers of weight cycling and repeated failure, it is unscientific and unethical to support the continued use of dieting as an intervention for, and I quote, obesity. Um, and I quote obesity because that is not a term that I use. Um, it's something that was basically created by the medical establishment just as a term that I think that doesn't do justice for, you know, what people experience. <laughs> and you, you mentioned the term weight cycling. Was that, was that the same thing as like yo-yo dieting or like sort of weights fluctuating up and down a lot? Could you, um, am yes. I correct in that assumption? <laughs> Yes, and yo-yo dieting, um, uh, yeah, yo-yo dieting, and that change in the weight um, over and over again has shown to be the most unhealthy thing you can possibly do for your body. So I feel like you know a lot of times people that are making these arguments against fat folks, like ultimately, like I, there are people like you are bringing out all these studies and and sort of proving them wrong from that angle. And I, my default is always to sort of fall back and be like, none of that like matters. Like, why should that matter? Like, shouldn't people just be kind to each other? Um, but like the one argument that I've had thrown back in my face when I bring that up is they say, well, you know, your health matters because an unhealthy person puts a burden on our healthcare system. And that puts a burden on everybody. And therefore, your personal health is more than just a personal choice. It affects everyone. So therefore, it's okay for someone to sort of make these comments or engage in, you know, the aggressions. And I'm, I'm wondering how you would respond to that. Well, first of all, our healthcare system is a burden on everyone by design. It is not created to help every person. And that is in itself incredibly problematic. You know, what I talked about before of 
uh, fat people not feeling comfortable going to the doctor, you know, so when you hear studies that show that fat people, you know, cost more in the healthcare system, first of all, there's other people that dispute that. So I don't feel as if that's actually been, that's fact. <laughs> it's not. Um, but also, I'll, you know, if the, if there was more expense, it would have to do more with the fact that, you know, people are going to the doctor later because they don't feel comfortable. And so then their ailments that they have tends to be increased. Um, and so, you know, they don't take that into consideration. You know, there's also the social stigma for being uh, fat also plays a role in the well-being for fat people that I had discussed as well. And so, you know, we want to put this, you know, simplistic idea of, you know, what it costs for the healthcare system, but we're not looking at a simplistic model. You know, I, I would look more in terms of how can we improve the healthcare system to help everyone rather than just try and say that, you know, any one person type of person is a burden because, you know, that's a horrible way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it always just feels like this excuse to be mean to people that under this guise, you know, concern trolling under this guise of we just care about your health or we just care about our healthcare system or something like that. Okay, so the the last thing that I put down was that you know even if someone accepts that all all of this is happening, some people just deny you know fat shaming and all of that, but the response might be well. That might be bad, but what the animals are going through is significantly worse. So, you know, stop bringing these issues into veganism. Don't take attention away from the animals. Just sort of suck it up and keep working for the animals because their situation is immensely worse than yours. And that's what we hear when we talk about anything, you know, it, you know, when we talk about sexism in the animal rights community, you know, we have that same sort of response. Uh, the reality is there is no liberation for animals while others are oppressed. Fat liberation is a social justice issue. So as long as you have these systems of oppression and are also going to be under that same oppression uh, systems. So you can't have one without the other. Um, so I feel as if anyone working towards social justice in the long run will help the animals. Um, also cannot be effective activists if they are constantly struggling with their community and not feeling a part of their community. Um, so, you know, like I know personally, I have away from being involved with certain communities because it got too much for me. And it's not because I wasn't dedicated enough or care enough about the animals. It was because I mentally couldn't handle it anymore, nor should I have to. Um, so, you know, I had to look at other ways to be an activist that didn't, didn't deal with these types of people and their fat shaming and their, you know, discrimination. All right. Well, I think that brings us a perfect segue into Fat Vegan Voice. Uh, it it might seem incredibly obvious at this point in the interview, but uh, why did you choose to create Fat Vegan Voice? Uh, what what place do you feel like it has for the movement? Who are you hoping will will join you? What has the reaction been so far? Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I, it's it's pretty new on Facebook, um, and I haven't been able to give it quite the amount of attention that I've wanted to. Um, I also think it's really important for activists to be people and to be real. So like, you know, I have 
uh, pet rats that I care for deeply. And one of my rats recently uh, came, uh, was suddenly got a tumor. And so I've been mostly concentrating on, you know, first of all, finding out if it's something that could be treatable and then just spending time with her because unfortunately it can't. So, um, um, I'm, but I'm very excited about moving forward, doing more with it. And I'm hoping to hear more from the community. Um, but I created it because I felt like it was important to give a platform to fat vegans to tell their stories and call out fat phobia. I feel as if oftentimes fat vegans are dismissed in the community and it would be nice to see more, to see that change and to see more support. I think it's also important to honor body diversity and support other marginalized voices while doing so. So that's kind of why I wanted to start Fat Vegan Voice. I felt as if there wasn't another place where I could really, you know, you know, talk about these things. And I was constantly seeing images online on Instagram and Facebook um, that was fat shaming in the vegan community. And I'd like to be able to have a also where I can post about it so people can, you know, realize that that's a problem. Um, I was also seeing, I was, I'm, I was also seeing non-fat vegans speaking up enough about, um, you know, fat acceptance. Um, so I'm really hoping that in the long run, more and more allies will support the page as well. Well, on that note, I'm wondering what advice you do have for allies to the fat vegans in this and just fat people in general, um, what you know people that are listening they're like i want to do more i want to be better in my advocacy i want to stand up um for my for the fat people in this movement more uh, what advice do you have for them um i would recommend well first of all to listen make sure that you're listening to the fat voices and so that way you'll know better how to help them um promote fat vegan so you know go out there and promote my page let other people know about it promote other fat vegans doing important work um and so that way it's it's you know talked about more i feel like you know like for example in my facebook um feed you know i have a majority of my friends and so I'll share different articles and I feel as if like anytime I share something about fat acceptance or into like a, a vegan Facebook group, um, it's kind of like crickets, <laughs> you know, nothing really happens. And, um, and so it's, it, it needs to have more of a conversation. And so people need to promote those articles that are calling out fat shaming in the vegan community and promote more people doing work. Um, also follow more people doing the work, um, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or follow blogs and podcasts. Also, you know, support those individuals, not just by listening, but, you know, if you are part of an activist circle and you notice someone being targeted for their size, First of all, speak up for them and don't just say, tell the other person that they're being mean, but actually counteract what they're saying and then check on the person afterwards. Make sure they're okay. Make sure that they know that you're there for them if they need to talk or need anything else. I also recommend that people ask questions. You know, if, if, if you're not sure how to support and you want to support, ask how they, how you can. You can also, you know, recognize that there is still also internal fat phobia within, you know, well, within everyone, but including fat vegans themselves. Um, I had a friend ask me how to be a better ally. 
and was concerned because one time that she had spoken up um, for a fat vegan and then another fat vegan basically counteracted what she was saying. And so it put her in a tough position. Um, But, you know, the other fat vegan was talking from a place of internalized fat phobia. Um, And so, you know, recognizing that it's still something that so many people struggle with um, is important. Um, And even people that are fat, uh, fat positive, um, you know, they're constantly struggling to stay fat positive as well, because our culture is constantly telling you to do the opposite. So and one last thing that I can think of for allies is to basically leave weight out of the equation. You know, when talking about, you know, veganism or talking about health, you know, there's really no reason to bring up weight at all inside unless you're talking about size diversity. Um, So just leave it out of the equation. And so I'm wondering how, how have, how did you unlearn or, you know, I know it's obviously a continual process, but how did you unlearn or start to unlearn that internalized fat phobia? Um, You know, I feel like a lot of people listen. They're like, well, that all sounds good, but I don't know how to, (laughs) I don't know how to achieve that for myself. Yes, it's it's a very different difficult and it's an ongoing process. Um, for me, um, when I first started getting into fat um, acceptance, I started a zine that I wrote called Take It, It's My Body. And so I would write down my frustrations or my observations and thoughts. And so I had a avenue to be able to kind of put things out there um, and then I could then share my experiences and, you know, get support from others. Um, and that helped me a lot, just putting it in writing and putting it out there, you know, also, you know, following other people that are, you know, fighting for fat liberation is also really helpful, um, because you're constantly being reminded why it's important. Also, you know, I follow a lot of Instagram people that are also show fat bodies in a positive way uh, or a neutral way. And it's important, like when I see a, an artwork that has someone with my body size, you know, it, it means a lot to me. There's some really beautiful stuff out there and there's some amazing photographers as well um, photographing fat bodies and, you know, showing that beauty. And it's a great reminder and you, you've mentioned a few times now following people that are doing the work or have positive representation. Do you have any specific pages or, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, blogs, whatever it is, are any other, I guess, specifically, let's start with specifically in the vegan space. Um, do you have any that you yes. recommend that people start to follow? Definitely. There's there's definitely some good ones. Um, uh, big fat uh, vegan zine on you can find that on facebook um jenny marie uh puts that on uh there's another blog called vegan at large uh that i recommend um there's on instagram there's well instagram and facebook there's vegan saurus that's run by a fat vegan um and there's also oh a good friend of mine um she does a Facebook page and blog called Vegful Life um, and has some good topics on there um, as well as good recipes. Rachel Cateyes is actually a, a local fat vegan, um, but she's a pretty popular artist on Instagram. 
I think it's radical fat vegan. I, I meant to write that down, but if you Google Rachel cat eyes, you'll find her. Um, there's also fat gay vegan. There's Eden Jacks on Instagram. That's pretty awesome. And the plus size vegan on Instagram as well. So those are all different people that I follow um, and enjoy enjoy seeing their feeds. And what about venturing into the non-vegan realm, uh, looking for positive representation? I'm wondering, what has your experience been like there? I can say for myself personally, it's it's often this sort of this minefield because they're speaking very positively <laughs> about one thing that I care deeply about, veganism. Uh, or, or sorry, um, I could say that it's this minefield because on one end they're speaking very positively about you know body diversity and fat liberation, um, but occasionally it's just a matter of time it feels like before veganism comes up. Um, and I'm wondering what your experience has been. For the most part, you know, I find that you know most people have been pretty accepting of me, um, but there's definitely times where I kind of feel a little bit like an outsider. Um, but I've been part of the Portland fat activist scene for a really long time. You know, I was part of the fat ass cheerleaders, which stood for fat action troop, all-star spirit squad. <laughs> um, I've given talks, I've helped organize fat positive events. Um, and so, you know, one thing I've learned is, you know, I tend to do more work by living by example, you know, people are more likely to ask questions. Um, and be more interested and be supportive from that realm. You know, it's it's kind of a difficult thing because um, bringing veganism into fat activism, um, you know, it, it, it's a delicate place because there's so many people that are either recovering or suffering from eating disorders. So telling people what or how to eat can be incredibly triggering and damaging. Um, so you know, I definitely like to focus just on, you know, living by example and asking questions that will come up. Um, but there's definitely times where, you know, it, it, it feels like I'm kind of, you know, in, be the, in between these two realms. Um, and it, it can, it can be kind of difficult at times, but, and I think also it makes it more difficult because a lot of people, when they hear vegan, they, first think of the fat shaming that happens in the vegan community. And they think of things like PETA, which is just such a horrible organization that ostracized so many people. And so, you know, trying to counteract that by just being a fat activist and living by example is, you know, the best way to kind of show people <laughs> vegan. Not all vegans are like that. <laughs> Majority of vegans, you know, are actually, you know, compassionate and accepting. <laughs> I think that that's definitely solid advice, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel that struggle because I, I, you know, if I do, you know, there's a few authors and whatnot that I follow that I really like mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I'll make friends with people that are not vegan, but are fat. And it almost feels like I, like I'd be betraying them if I try to invite them into the vegan movement, because I know that they often will be subjected to so much horrible stuff. And mm. it, it, it makes it really tough, you know, trying to, to be an advocate specifically to people with larger body sizes, um, for that reason. So I think that's good advice to sort of leading by example, being there, being there to answer questions when they come up. So, 
Yeah. Uh, and it can be frustrating because, you know, I've, I saw recently an Instagram um, post or story of, you know, putting down, like, I think they put vegan um, as, you know, basically as like a diet choice um, and putting it down. And it was really frustrating because, you know, I'm like, there's so many fat vegans that are doing so much great work that is not being acknowledged. <laughs> and it was really frustrating. But, you know, I, I just had to respect that space and know that, you know, you know, hopefully down the line, there'll be other avenues to educate. Definitely. And so as we kind of wrap it up here, I'm starting to get in the habit of asking people, how do you prevent activist burnout within yourself? Like, do you engage in any deliberate self-care or like, what's, what do you do to, to maintain (laughs) your sense of self within this movement? Um, that's a great question. It's something I've really, really struggled with. Uh, for a long time, I wasn't doing a lot because of that burnout. Um, and more than just the burnout, like I, I, I feel as if, you know, my experiences as a, you know, when I was a young activist was, um, you know, traumatic. And so, um, getting back into activism has been very difficult for me. Um, but focusing on something where, you know, like this with fat vegan voice, it's an avenue where I really feel as if I can focus my energy and create change that's going to help animals in the long run. So finding way, finding first of all a form of activism that speaks to you is very important and will help you in the long run. Um, but also, there's definitely self care things I do. I mean, everyone's going to be different. Um, but for me, it's well, both spending time with my furry family. Um, I have four rats, two guinea pigs, and two cats. And they bring me happiness every single day. Um, And so spending time with them really makes a difference. Um, And then also being out in nature and experiencing wildlife is, is what I'm all about. Like if I, if I don't have like a weekend day where I go out and photograph birds um, it makes, I can really feel it. <laughs> um, I light up every single time I see a tiny little bird called a bush tit <laughs> and uh, funny little name. Um, but, and I see them quite a bit, but every single time I see them, I get so happy and smile and just watch them for a while. Um, they tend to move around in small little groups and they have the cutest little chatter And things like that is a great reminder that life carries so much beauty and, you know, and I need to be reminding myself of that because there's, you know, we face so much cruelty from other people and that we see towards non-human animals. So it's good to be reminded the beauty of life. And, And for me, it's all about nature and wildlife and those experiences. Beautiful. Well, uh, where can people find your work? Obviously, there's fatveganvoice.com, as we've been talking about. Any social media that you would direct people towards? Um, also on Facebook, you can find me at Fat Vegan Voice. Um, if you want to follow my personal Instagram, um, my handle is animalkind. Um, and there you will be blessed to see cute little animals uh, wildlife pictures and some vegan food. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely a joy to witness your Instagram. So highly oh, recommend. thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for, for joining and, and sharing your experiences today. Thank you so much for having me on and letting me share. And I'm, 
I'm just really excited for Fat Vegan Voice, and I hope people go on there and like it. And not only that, but be an ally and share it with others. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chelsea Lincoln. As as you may remember, maybe you don't remember, so this was our last newer interview, and next week is going to start our our retro, our Bearded Vegans Classics interview portion of the interview series. So stay tuned to see who it is. We're not going to reveal it. But, but these are two interviews next week and the week after that we've decided were, were – at least for me, you know, it's like they were crucial. They were formative for not only the podcast, but for a lot of my perspective on on a lot of things related to the stuff we talk about on the podcast. So we felt they were important enough to bring back. And, and we hope that you also enjoy either revisiting them if you listen to them, you know, forever ago, a couple of years ago at this point, or if it's the first time you've heard them, we hope you enjoy them too. So, so we revamped them a little bit because back in those days, we were not so great at audio recording. And so Andy has been gracious enough to to audio restore them a little bit to make them a little bit more more palatable to those beautiful ears of yours and and uh, thank you for that Andy and we hope that you enjoy them. Yeah, so st- so stay tuned to see what we dust off from the archives in next week's episode. So Paul, mm-hmm. in the episode Chelsea, we talk with her about her new blog, her new website fatveganvoice.com. And with my fat vegan voice, I'm going to ask you to say the following seven words. <laughs> we are the bearded vegans, signing off. So, Paul, uh, Chelsea is uh, working on. Er, no. <clears throat> <laughs> Andy has been gracious, gracious enough. Grace, Andy, gracious enough. <laughs> Andy has been gracious. Grace, how do you say that word? Gracious. 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 That's a that's a weird word. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chelsea Lincoln. I hope I enjoyed that interview too. No, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs>